be in trouble. <laughs> and uh, you see that angel over in, in Daniel chapter chapter 12 and, and, and verse 7. So right now, just recapping from uh, last week and probably the week before that. Uh, Daniel 12 in verse 7. Uh, here is this angel described as a man clothed in linen, raising the right hand and the left hand, taking this oath. Uh, time, times, and half a time when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, these things would be finished. So that, that's a really important uh, prophecy there uh, in, in Daniel 12. Here is this angel saying, these things are sealed up till the time of the end, talking about the shattering of the power of the holy people. So when you're here in, in, in Revelation 10, and you see this angel, you should be thinking about that prophecy back there in, in, in Daniel 10. Uh, and then after that angel takes that oath, we saw John uh, being commissioned that he's going to prophesy about people's nations, uh, languages, and kings. All right, so are there questions about chapter 10? I know we started into 11 last week, but I, I got to make sure you're okay on 10. So when the angel blows the seventh trumpet, what's going to happen? All right. And that's what? Judgment on who? Okay. So, and if you're like, well, where did that just come from? All right. It came from right there. So in Daniel 12, verse 7, what's the angel saying is going to happen? Shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, right? And when you go to Daniel 12, 8 and 9, Daniel says, when? Angel says, later, go your way, time of the end, first century, time of Christ, okay? So... When this angel reappears now in verse uh, in Revelation 10 and verse 6, rather than saying time, times, and half a time, the angel says, we're not waiting anymore. No more delay. When that angel sounds the trumpet, can I paraphrase verse 7? When the angel sounds the trumpet, what you read in Daniel 12 and verse 7 is going to happen. Right? Or... The mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced the prophets. You good? You sure? This is your chance. You're going to need this for 11. All right. No student left behind, so make sure. All right. Uh, In chapter 11, you notice that we have a a measuring rod. And the directions are given in chapter 11, verse 1. Measure the temple, uh, the altar, and those who who worship there, all right? In the New Testament, what does the temple represent? You have two correct answers. All other answers are wrong. All right, well, but in the New Testament, when you read the temple, who does the temple represent? Jesus is one, and the people of God is the other. All throughout the New Testament, that is how the temple is is used either Jesus says that's me I'm the temple or the myriad of passages that say you're a temple uh, to the living God 
So when, when Revelation 11 uses that, uh, we should see it the same way, that you're reading the temple, a measuring is happening. Now, I, I did this quickly. I'll slow it down right here and just note. When you see measurings happening, that doesn't necessarily tell you if that's good or bad. Sometimes it's good, like in Zechariah 2, Ezekiel 40, Jeremiah 31. You're going about measuring because, like in Ezekiel, there's going to be a new temple. Uh, in, in Zechariah 2, when the measuring happens, you might remember Zechariah is about to go measure walls. And God's answer is, oh, there's not going to be walls. God's going to be a fire around the people. And so there will be no walls. So those are all good measurements. But there are bad measurements. You're getting measured and you're going to be destroyed. Jeremiah talks about that in Lamentations 2. He measured us and we were wiped out. You know, we came up short. All right. So when you look at verses 1 and 2, should we read the measuring of the temple as good or bad? And make sure you read 1 and 2. And why? Give me the reason or your answer. Why good or why bad? Trampling of the Holy Spirit doesn't sound good. Trampling of the Holy Spirit doesn't sound good. But do you know there's a distinction between verse 1 and verse 2? Casey? Yeah. So is the outcome of the measuring in verse 1 positive or negative? Positive. You think positive? Positive. I think there's a distinction between one and two, like the inner court and the outer court. It almost okay. sounds like the Gentiles are the outer, but he's excluding them, and okay. he's measuring the inner, and he okay. says those who worship there. Good. So it's showing people that are doing what All right. And if we felt uncertain about that, back in Revelation 7, what was happening with all the, the servants of God? What did God do? Chapter 7. Before we could unleash these judgments... God had to do something for his servants. Put the seal on them. Was that positive or negative? Positive. So we shouldn't be coming into the temple and going, oh, they're in trouble now. Uh, this, is, this is a positive that we're measuring the temple, the altar, and the worshipers. Here's the true people of God. But verse 2, don't measure the courtyard that which is outside the temple so kind of think about that symbolism the temple's the people of god then those who are outside the temple not the people of god okay that's we're, we're not not too tough right there right we're just okay that makes sense what's going to happen to them trampled underfoot, trampled underfoot uh, for for 42 months and notice who the them are. What's trampled? Well, no, they're not trampled. They're the tramplers. The holy city in verse 2 is trampled. Okay. Now, just as a, as a quick aside, uh, dispensationalists come to this and say, this is one of the reasons why we have to have a new temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. So this can all happen. Now, I, I want you, just an aside, but I think important right here. 
Can you think of some big theological problems in having another temple constructed? Okay, well, yeah, that'd certainly be a problem, right, Julie? Okay, so what would the if we put a physical temple back into place, what would that say? Okay, yeah, I mean, it certainly undoes that, Muriel. Okay. Yeah, you would you would have have that as well, April. Gentlemen, with that. Yeah, you're going. And there's no record. There's no way to go back to because they have yeah. no records to know who's a Levite. Right. I mean, it's not just that the temple's gone. Yeah. I, of course, I think it's very telling that they God allowed the temple to be rebuilt before He made provision for it back before Jesus came, and in 2,000 years they can't even get close to even okay. touching the base of the temple. Yeah. So. The temple, give me some of the symbols of what did the temple mean for the people? The temple represented what? God with his people. Where you could access God, find atonement, forgiveness, God with his people. So if we need a future temple, therefore, God's not with his people right now because we don't have one. A future temple is disastrous to New Testament theology. New Testament says we don't need a temple because we have Christ and that is God with us. And through him, we have forgiveness. Through him, we have access. Through him, we have everything we need to have anything say, oh, future temple. You've wrecked Christ. You have destroyed everything about atonement, forgiveness, our standing with God, you have eliminated it. I am astounded that the majority view of Revelation is, oh, we've got to rebuild a future temple over there. Are you kidding me? Have you read the New Testament? <laughs> do you understand what that means? You are undoing everything Christ said he came to do. We don't need future sacrifices. We have it. Never mind. You come to Revelation 21, 22, there is no temple. We don't need one. God's already with us. We're, 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 that's already been been solved, April. Well, Luke 21, Jesus uses the same wording, and he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Yeah. I don't know why you would say that's right. the, the yeah. Revelation's point. Yeah, in fact, why else do we need to destroy the physical temple in the first century except to make this point? We don't need it. <laughs> the true temple came. Why did Jesus walk around saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days? Because I'm it, buddy. We, we don't need that building anymore. In fact, Jesus walked around saying, that thing's desolate. God's not there. God's here, not there. And I'm just, again, just this theology of a future temple. Unbelievable. And to me, uh, how do you have always the All kinds of problems. Yeah. If you put the temple back, now we've got... Barriers again, right? Access problems. That was, I thought Ephesians 2 said we tore all the barriers down. There's no more Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. We ripped all that apart and you're trying to put it all back together again. So I hope you see a literal reading of Revelation undoes scripture. You have to see symbolism. You have to see temple now 
is the people of God joined to Christ. And you, I mean, look how many passages I stuck there that say that. Goodness. I mean, the New Testament, Apostle Paul practically says it in every letter, trying to make that point. So, he, the whole book of Hebrews stands on it. I mean, goodness. So, really important right here. But, get the Tim LaHaye book and the Left Behind books and all those dispensational views and futurist views all say we have to have a future temple so that it can get have all this happen. Mm-mm. That's, that's not what we're talking about. Okay. Verse 2. Nations are going to trample the holy city for 42 months. I made the point last week, so this is, we're still in review, but made the point last week that the New Testament does have to do a lot of work in trying to make this distinction between who's the true Israel. And Revelation 2.9 had to do that. Remember, you have in that letter... Jesus saying, I know those who say they are Jews, but are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. There is this separating that is going to have to happen. Who are the true people of God? Uh, The book of Romans is heavy in that. Um, Romans 2. It's not those who are circumcised of flesh, but circumcised of heart. Uh, Huge teaching right there. Who are the true Israel? Who are the... The true people of God. Uh, I used this last week. Galatians 4. Distinguishing between Sinai and Zion. The present Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. Or Romans 9 and and verse 6. All those who are from Israel are not Israel. There's a distinction between physical and spiritual. So uh, we shouldn't be surprised here to read in these first two verses that kind of distinguishing happening. We are just measuring stick comes out and we're measuring who are the true people of God. And those who are the true people of God are being counted, preserved and measured. And those who are not are on the outside and they're being trampled uh, by the Gentiles for 42 months. So that slide is just very simple. New Testament does a lot about there's a distinguishing between spiritual and physical. Uh, I don't have time, but it's it's funny how many scholars really don't like that? But man, that's all over the New Testament. That's, it's an un, unavoidable thing about God observing the true people of God who are who truly belong to him. And again, Romans is, is, is heavy in that. It's not all of Abraham's seed or offspring. It's Isaac, not Isaac and Ishmael. And it's not all of Isaac's seed. It's Jacob, not Jacob and Esau. I mean, man, Romans 9 is trying to drive that it's never been the whole there's always been the few uh kathy um when uh, you say god separating his people and then you have the trampling of the holy city would any of god's people still be in that so if they listened they wouldn't be and i'll get to to luke 21 in just a minute but remember jesus teaches When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, or if you use Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing where it ought not be, let the reader understand. Or when you hear rumors of wars and famines, run to the hills. Run, 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 run. So Jesus made it clear there are signs of this event. And when you see those signs, 
get out of Jerusalem because these are the days of vengeance. So we, we haven't done Matthew 24 yet. We will. But that's the, the text you want to look at where Jesus gives clarity about when this happens, go, go, go. And if you listened, then you would have avoided this. Yeah. Absolutely. I would think so. So, would you think a faithful person then would have probably been killed by the other people who were committing cannibalism and all that? They wouldn't have participated in all that. Right. Hopefully. Yeah, either killed by the Romans or the Jews. Uh, And this, this goes back to what we studied in Revelation 7 with the sealing. When... That, that imagery comes from Ezekiel. When the Babylonians were going to destroy Jerusalem and there is a vision and a picture of God sealing his people, did that mean none of the faithful people in Ezekiel's day were going to die? No. So what is the sealing and security about if it's not physical? Remember, where, where do we keep seeing the 144,000? With God in heaven, around the throne. Though they die, they're fine. So surely I I would have a very hard time reading this and going, there was not a single Christian that died when the Romans came in and invaded Judea and destroyed Jerusalem. Boy, that'd be shocker to me. I, I, I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think it's saying in spite of the events that are happening, you're okay. I think that's the idea. All right. Uh, let's see. All right, I wanted to compare, uh, since I, I keep, I thought a comparison would make this a little bit easier. So color coding to match up, we're going to you know connect the dots kind of thing. So here's our different colors. So here's Revelation 11, verse 2. And then listen to Jesus' words in Luke 21, 24. And notice, you're welcome to argue with me that they're not talking about the same thing, but I don't know how. I mean, they are talking about the same thing. Uh, So I color-coded the blue, holy city, Jerusalem, nations, Gentiles, trample, trample, 42 months. We'll talk about that time frame in just a minute. And interestingly enough, if you want, there are translations for Revelation 11 too that don't say to the nations, but say to the Gentiles. And so then your yellow are exact as well if you use the... In Ivy or the New King James or something. Uh, I don't know how to not hear the words of a Revelation eleven two and go, wow, Jesus said that exactly. Same words. When distor- talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And now here is this message in Revelation 11. It's given over to the Gentiles or the, or the nations, trample the holy city for 42 months. So this is one of those spots where I go, this has to be talking about Jerusalem, right? Now I'm going to show you the arguments for the Roman Empire here and why I can't get there. But... I want you to see, like, if I heard the words and I'm sitting in the first century about trampling the holy city, is, am I crazy or is it not the natural reading of the holy city 
Jerusalem. Am I crazy that this text looks exactly the same as Luke 21, where Jesus specifically says Jerusalem in blue there? Jerusalem trampled by the Gentiles till the times the Gentiles are fulfilled. So what you're saying is that a lot of people interpret the holy city as Rome, not Jerusalem. Yes. And I will deal with that in just a minute in a couple of slides here. I don't think you've already said, and then it's, you've mentioned that Christ was crucified. Yes, when we get to verse uh, 8. Yeah, yeah. will we get that far? Probably not. But, yeah, it it happens, it says it twice, yes. Uh, Two times gives you the location here. Never mind, when we were in chapter 10... What did we say the angel was prophesying about the shattering of who? The power of the holy people. Right. Okay. So, you know that, Miriam? Am I right? Rome wasn't considered a holy city until the Catholic Church was. Yeah, it was. When do the scriptures ever call it the holy city? Who would ever come along and go, oh, yeah, Rome, the holy city? Catholics. Yeah, Catholics. But that's not even in existence yet. We've got hundreds of years before that comes onto the scene. That's not even rolling right now. Uh, Revelation will make it clear when he's talking about Rome. Uh, he'll say the, the city that has seven hills. Oh, okay, well, if you know history, you know what the city of seven hills is. That, okay, we've got that one. No. But holy city, no. All right, well, let me show you uh, what, what, what they do, do with this, this text. They say this, they will say, so when you read verse one, measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship them. So the temple of the people of God and it's given, but don't measure the court outside the temple, leave that out. And it is given over to the nations and they will trample it for 42 months. So they will say the temple and the holy city are both referring to the people of God. That doesn't make sense to me. The reason why it doesn't make sense is there is a distinguishing between verse 1 and verse 2. We have something that is being measured and protected and something that is being left out and trampled. There are two things. How do you say they are the same thing? Why did we measure it if it's getting trampled? Why are we saying it's good and safe and here's my worshipers and then they're getting wrecked? It doesn't make it make it make any sense. But they will say the holy city, uh, at least one commentator, the holy city refers to us. And I'll make this point. The holy city is never referred to as the people of God in Revelation until we get all the way to chapter 21. And in chapter 21, it makes it clear. It says, then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of it. Okay, well, now I know who we're talking about when you call it New Jerusalem. But that's chapter 21. We are in the heavenly scene. We are way down the the road at that point. So there's nothing here that I think would would work with this to say, well, that's what this is talking about is uh, it's it's talking about the people of God. And and so how the Romans, that's why this is how Rome comes in Uh, to me. You are forcing a a Roman Empire view right here rather than just taking the natural reading of 
the trampling of the holy city. That's, that's Jerusalem. And I'll remind you that we had in Daniel 9 that, that said this had to happen. Uh, Daniel 9, that we have the, the people of the prince are going to come and destroy city and sanctuary. That we have this prophecy that that has to happen. It's going to be destroyed. And then I, I keep reminding you, even at the end of the 70 weeks, the one who destroyed it also has to be destroyed. Pour out on the one who makes desolate. So you have the vision of 70 weeks speaking of desolation of Jerusalem and the one who makes desolate. Uh, they both have, both have to be destroyed. Um, I thought I had one more slide. Hold on. Where, let me see if I'm in sync or not. No, I guess not. Okay. Um, so what did I want to say with that? There was something else with that. All right, well, let me go to your questions if you have any. While I try to remember what in the world I wanted to say about that. Or something there that I thought I had a whole slide for, and it's not there. So I gotta turn the hamster on in my mind to make it run. I I just um, I, I really do struggle with the idea. Oh, that's what it was. If. If chapter 11 is going to describe the, the fall of, of the, the Roman Empire and its destruction, I do want to bring you back to where we started this Bible class. And I, I did it with intent. I, I walked you down the plank and you didn't know you were walking down the plank uh, blindfolded going off into the ocean. And I said to you, in the first three verses, it said that the time is near and things must soon take place. And I went around and I asked you, so how long is it no longer soon and that the time is near? And we all were easy with all oh, 2,000 years. Anything that has prophecy of 2,000 years is ridiculous. Like, that's not near. That's not soon. But you might remember, I also asked you, is 400 years soon? Nobody in the room went, oh, yeah, that's near, that's soon. You know, in the year 2,423, anybody think that's near? No. 2,520, no. Nobody even thinks 200 years is soon. So there has to be something this is talking about that's soon. And I made the point at the very beginning, for the whole book to be end times is a problem. That's not soon. And I said, and the whole book being the Roman Empire is a problem because that's not soon either. That's hundreds of years later from the first century. So to me, here we are and we have the nations trampling the holy city for 42 months. And if you're in the first century, was that going to be soon? Oh yeah, real quick. In fact, I think this book is written somewhere probably in the 60s A.D. Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 A.D. Would that be soon? Would five years work for you okay for soon? Yeah, be all right for me. Not 400 years. I, I, to me, that's a really big deal about I have to have something in the book be soon. 
Otherwise, this doesn't work. The whole prophecy started that way. And it ends that way. Go read chapter 22. I'm coming soon. Okay, well, there must be something soon, not hundreds of years, hundreds of years later. All right. Questions, challenges, rebukes, tomatoes. Uh, what, what do you got? Good. So far, so good. All right. I, I do want to make this this point, and I, I want to show consistency here. Those who see Jerusalem's fall in chapter 11 here do like to point out that the siege of Judea and the invasion of the Roman Empire was three and a half years, which, you know, quick math, 42 months is three and a half years. Uh, And the siege on Jerusalem was five months. Remember the five months back in chapter nine, verse five. We have to be consistent. We are not allowed to pick and choose when we want to make numbers literal and not literal. Right? And so even though I believe chapter 11 is describing Jerusalem's fall, if I start taking numbers and go literal on their time markers, well, now we've got to go back over here to all these other numbers that we've been doing and going, well, those are symbolic. And be consistent. There's nothing here in the text that tells us take these numbers literally as an actual time frame. And and I think the text itself warrants the symbolism. In Daniel's account, what was the time markers? Time times half a time. And that is, you can't read that as three and a half years. If, If time is a year, there's one. And then there's times, there's two. And then half a time, so one and two and a half, you know, three and a half. So some will do that and go, okay, well, there's three and a half, 42 months. You'll notice verse three, 1,260 days. If you want to get a calculator out, guess what? That's three and a half years too. So, um, but I don't, I don't think we can do that. And I think there's two, a couple of reasons why. One, we, we're being consistent. We have to be consistent in our methodology here that these are symbols. Unless the text says otherwise, we take them as symbols. But in verse 3, when it says 1,260 days, there is no way that it was exactly 1,260 days. The siege of Judea and Jerusalem and all. There's no way. There's no way we would even we don't even have that precision. I mean, we 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 don't know that that would even be that. So to me, the whole point is three and a half years in scriptures actually has a very meaningful uh, symbolism. Uh, Elijah told Israel it wouldn't rain on the earth for how long? Three and a half years. There is a symbolism of judgment to that time marker. You say 42 months or three and a half years or a time times and half a time. That's a time of judgment. Uh, That's what you would be hearing. So even though a lot of people get very excited if you're in the Jerusalem camp and go, look, 42 months. That's exactly what we think. This is it. I wouldn't do that here. I I think it's inconsistent. If you start taking it literal here, then you're going to start struggling with all the other numbers like 666 and 1000. And you're going to have fun trying to deal with all the other numbers being literal. It's, it's, it's not going to work or the five months and all that. So stay with the symbolism. Three and a half 
by the way, being a half of seven, gives an indication of judgment time. This is a time of doom that's being warranted. Okay? Questions, or I'm just boring you to tears? It's one of the two. Or is this just so easy? And Brent, I can't believe it. You just, you know, this is, why, why don't we go faster? This is obvious. This is clear and simple. And Debbie? I, I just um, was thinking that that's such an inconvenient coincidence, you know? I mean, I can see why people are I'm totally confused that. I mean, I read that and I went, wow, that's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, three and a half years, it was from 66 to 70. That's, that's pretty stunning. Uh, but again, there, just because we have things that work together like that doesn't mean that needs to be our, our, our method of interpretation. I, I think the connection to like the three and a half in Elijah's day, I think that helps. Anything about that's, you know, interesting that God uses that number for a time of, of loss, a time of mourning, a time of judgment. Uh, and that was seen with, uh, with, with, with Elijah. Yeah. What's the point of even having this? It's all symbolic. What's the point of even naming the number of days? Yeah. And I think that's part of the idea is, is even asking that question. Why would you use these things? And in a symbolic way, you're communicating particular frameworks of time. So if something is a thousand years in your, in your account and something is seven years, seven's pretty short, a thousand's really long. You know, that, that would be what you're kind of working with as, as numbers come into play versus, uh, if you start trying to be literal with them, that causes a lot of, of, uh, interpretive difficulties. So, uh, when God likes to use these numbers, I think it's far more trying to communicate definitive amounts of time, whether they be short uh, or whether they be long. Well, it, it's me too. If you have two different judgments that are occurring and seven is a completeness, then you're showing that half of the judgment is occurring here, the destruction of Jerusalem. You're going to show okay. the other half of the destruction of Rome. So you have two parts of the total yep. complete judgment yep. could be Yeah. And, and one of the things that, you know, if, if, if it were literal, then why do you keep changing the numbers? You know, why do we say time, times, and half a time, and then we say 42 months, and then we say 1,260 days? Just, just say one. But to me, the changing of it is indicating don't get stuck on it. Uh, there's a, a message behind, behind the numbers, uh, and, and that will be true in chapter 13 uh, with 666. That will be true in chapter 20. Uh, with a thousand, uh, it's true with the fractions. We, we've done lots of fractions so far, thirds and quarters and things like that. Again, trying to communicate partials, uh, not trying to be actual. Uh, Dathan? Wasn't Jesus' ministry also true in Alphaeus? It was, allegedly, about, yeah, approximately, yes. Uh, well, uh, part of this also goes back to, you know, searching and seeking. True. But the other thing too is uh, the measure of hope. So in eleven one, we talked about right the measure of the temple of God. So you have the sealed; they're good, thumbs up. But there's hope. There's still hope to be additionally, I guess, sealed because the onslaught hasn't happened, and you could have an opportunity to to basically you know be a champion for Christ or, or God. 
Or are you saying the seal are the rights that were measured? Are there future measures going on before the actual yeah, I think because chapter 11 is going to describe Jerusalem's fall, you are getting this this picture now of, okay, yeah, we have sealed the people of God. But think about the idea. If we are destroying city and physical temple, is that okay? And the answer would be yes, because you're the temple. We don't need that temple. So Jerusalem's going to fall, sanctuary destroyed, but that's okay because you're actually the temple. One of the things that I think makes this particularly interesting, go to the end of the chapter, of chapter 11, and look real quick there. And tell me, what do we see in heaven as this scene ends? Because chapter 11 is definitely the end of this visionary sequence and we shift in chapter 12. But notice how this whole thing is what's in heaven isn't that interesting why do we need to to reveal the temple in heaven because we just destroyed the physical if it's the fall of the roman empire what does that have to do with anything but boy it makes a whole lot of sense here to go physicals being destroyed but that's okay you're the temple And where's that temple? With God in heaven. And there's the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant also symbolized atonement, the place where God meets his people. That's all still intact. It's not on earth. And and for us, I don't, okay, for us, that's really easy. But imagine being a Jewish Christian who all of their life, that temple meant everything. And God's destroying it. And there has to be some consolation by God to say, that's okay. I'm not there. I'm up there. I'm still connected to you. We still have forgiveness. We still have atonement. Temple's there. Atonement's there. Ark of the Covenant's there. You're the temple of the living God. And chapter 11 really, I think, validates that. And and what a great ending sequence that you would end it with the temple and the the Ark of the Covenant. To me, it just confirms that we have to be talking about the physical city being destroyed. Uh, otherwise, these symbols are out of whack to me as to why we'd be talking about that. Well, I think it's important to remember, too, the temple's been destroyed before. And God's prophecy was always, don't worry, I'm going to bring it back. Bring it back. back. Yep. Rebuild. We're gonna, <clears throat> this is for your judgment from all the things you've done. And I think what's yep. telling <clears throat> now is when you see it's not coming back, yep. you need some consolation somewhere else because that's not what I'm going to that's right. Yeah, Jesus, in two different ways, communicated that that temple wasn't coming back. One, not one stone left upon another. But the John 2 prophecy, there is a, a, a dualism in saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. There is a statement that that one's gone. This one's the replacement, uh, very much so. Uh, in fact, if you wanted, the writer of Hebrews is alluding to this, maybe not in complete, but certainly uh, Hebrews 12, 
verse 25. By the way, the context is this contrast between Sinai and Zion, right? You've come to heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to Zion, verse 22. You've come to the new. You're not part of the old. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them from earth or warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. And now he was promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth and also the heavens. Now, listen to verse 27. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made. So that the things that cannot be shaken remain. In other words, the voice yet once more said, I'm destroying physical things so that the spiritual things can be seen as lasting and eternal. I think the temple destruction is one of those. We have to destroy the physical, destroy the physical city because we've got the heavenly city. We've got to destroy a physical temple because we've got a heavenly temple. But then I think it's also talking about we're destroying the physical because we have a heavenly spiritual reality. It's, it's saying we've got to set aside the physical so that you can see the physical realities. And as long as that physical temple stood, you weren't going to see that atonement, forgiveness, God with us was in Christ. That's why the temple's never going to get rebuilt. You can play all the world politics you want and try to get the Dome of the Rock off of there, but it ain't going to get rebuilt. Because God said so. He said that was it. That's what all this is talking about. And he's telling the Christians, don't get freaked out by that. That's okay. Because you're the temple, you're the temple, you're the temple. And it's through Christ that God's with us. And we don't need that thing. We have forgiveness. And the physical doesn't matter. We don't need to take pilgrimages to Israel. And no, it's, it's done and gone and gone. We don't need all that. All of those things were shadows and symbols and pictures of a heavenly reality. They weren't the true. And it, it, it's disturbing to me how many scholars come to this book and start trying to put all the physical back in place when the message is the opposite. We're destroying physical. We're moving it out of the way so you can see clearly the means to, to salvation, the means to God. Dathan? Because so, so it, it appears to me that in, in 
Revelation, people, they, they, are, they are physically in heaven because if, if, if the people on earth are unbelievers, then it would seem that this passage in Christ, it, it seems to clarify right. that. Yeah, it, it's trying to describe our re, our spiritual reality of where we belong. Did you have more of that? Or? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, so I don't, I'm not sure if that supports the whether the temple is going to rebuild, be rebuilt yeah. or not. But no. Why, why would God care? It seems right. If, 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 if we're already seated with Christ right. in heavenly places, then yeah. it would tend to, to yeah. nullify the need to Absolutely. rebuild the temple. For our citizenship is in Jerusalem. No, it is in heaven, right? I mean, that's that's exactly. It's always been pointing to beyond that. Which, again, this is this is the great symbolism here. I've got my true people of God, and those who are outside of that are being trampled. They're being dealt with. They're being judged. Or to go back to chapter two, verse nine, where we started this morning. I know that synagogue of Satan. I'm going to deal with them. They say they are Jews, but they are not. They claim to be the people of God and are not. They say that they belong and they don't. And that's just so logical to the New Testament. Remember John the baptizer? Don't say Abraham's your father. Don't say that. God will raise up children out of stones then think that you're the people of God simply by blood. No chance. And a distinguishing had to happen. A separation had to happen. And this is that, that very picture. All right, out of time. So uh, next week, all about the two witnesses. Okay? Super easy. No problem. You got this. Keep looking at who's the, who are the witnesses. Don't be surprised that in every verse it changes the picture. And then run the thread through the picture and go, okay, well, what's the consistent thing between the pictures? And then you'll go. All right. 13-minute break. Thanks, everybody.